And we're recording. Yes! yes! Welcome to The Wages of Cinema. I'm Andrew. And I am Jack. And I'm going to turn down your level just a tiny bit, because you have a nice booming voice. There we go. And I'll turn up me and... All right, we should be good. All right, great. So, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I've, uh, I've had a pretty exciting week full of ups and downs and twists and turns and luckily the good stuff has been mostly pretty good all right the, the good stuff is good you hear heard it here first yes let's have more good things in this world all right brought so to let's... you by the wages of cinema advice we should have a little like graphic come up but this is audio yeah, we'll we'll have like a sound bite to go with our <laughs> our inspirational messages. Exactly. So really fast. Um, actually, we could first talk about a movie which Andrew and I just watched uh, literally within the past several hours um, <laughs> in one of our sort of movie night friendly get together things. Um, a friend of ours recommended watching this movie, uh, which I had heard about for a while, and I hadn't seen it. It actually had gone through some problems for a while it's a movie called knights of badastum and i'm not going to talk about this movie for a while because there isn't that much to talk about um, it's okay yeah that's it's... it is to quote george carlin it's not unwell yeah it's uh <laughs> would that be a good description of it it's moderately neato in a world within our world they'd created a world Unlike any other world. You bastard. Well, tis the kingdom of Eliphaz, my naive friend. That looks terrible. My three-year-old nephew can make a better map. He's got learning disabilities. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing offensive about it. It's it's ably written. Nothing. Ably not, written. Yeah, it's like uh It's not it, Abby normal. Your wife said it best. Uh, it's, you won't feel cheated for the time you put into it. No. But you won't get much back. No, and I mean, basically the movie is, for those of you who don't know, it's basically about, uh, uh... It's about LARPing. LARPers who uh, accidentally unleash a succubus. Yeah, they unleash a succubus, uh, you know, they read from the book, uh, a magic book, because nobody's seen Evil Dead. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and... The, the, the opening is a direct homage to, uh... Either Evil Dead Two or Army of Darkness, where they have like the the, the book, you know, yeah, the pages flipping of the book, background of the book, and you know, and they show sort bound of like, in human flesh, yeah, exactly. and inked in human blood, yeah, exactly. So it has a tongue that comes out of its cover. <laughs> the filmmaker, the the the, the book is not in a never mind. But uh, well, the point is, is that basically what you get then is a comedy of errors and. You know, they make fun of the whole aspect of people talking as if they're in medieval times, but, of course, they are uh, talking like they are... You know, they, they go back and forth. It's like some of them get stuck in character, but some of them realize, oh, no, no, let's talk like actual human beings. It has the lady from Firefly. It has the lady from Firefly. It, it has a very interesting cast of people that you've seen in other things. But like, uh, It but... has basically, uh, like, if you know, if you've seen True Blood, it has the guy that plays Jason Stackhouse. If you've seen Firefly, it has Summer Glau. It has Peter Dinklage, of course, everyone knows from Game of Thrones. Um, it has a guy that's on House of Cards. It has a guy uh, in 
another show. It has a lot of people. It's like a it's like a chop suey of Yeah, it has uh, Daniel Pudi, who you might know from community. I want I mean there are a couple of things that just a couple small things that bothered me. Like they killed off Peter Dinklage. Oh that's a spoiler, come on. I'm like I'm gonna delete that. Redacted. Redacted. I'm gonna try to put a beep or put like a curse word over that. Okay, spoiler. Um, we're censoring spoilers with, with, with cursing. Um, so there's like a tier, there's like normal speech, they're swearing, and then worse than that is spoilers. Hmm. I guess a spoiler would be worse than a curse word, isn't it? Yeah. That's like if there was like a hole in your, uh, in your wall, you, you fill it with feces or something. I'll probably just put in a bleep and stuff. That doesn't make any sense. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> that whole section's redacted. The point is, um, a cat... <laughs> A character we all know and love dies midway through. I don't know if we so much love the character. No, we, we, don't we really like get to the know actor him that well. None, like with the exception of the main character, it doesn't seem like there's that much development with the characters. There's not enough to really invest with them. I think we meant one of us mentioned. I think I mentioned midway through watching this that I wish it was directed by Edgar Wright, and it was kind of missing that sort of spark that you get in his movies where. Yeah, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor going on. There's a lot of knowing pop culture references and self-conscious attitude. But you actually care about the people. There's enough investment with them to know what happens. And here, you don't really get that. You get a lot of fun uh, violence. You get a lot of fun supernatural medieval horror comedy slapstick. But it just... it's Is that a thing? I don't know. Medieval comedy horror slapstick? Well, Army of Darkness. Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> well, it is. I stand corrected. Well, bring it back around to our beginning conversation. So, Knights of Badastum, it's okay. Very okay. <laughs> it's it's adequate for how we watched it, which was Netflix. So, let's talk about a movie that you saw uh, in the past two weeks. Okay. Um so, a movie that I saw, I mentioned actually at the end of the last podcast, that I was going to try to watch two movies in our, before we record again. One, uh, which I'll talk about now, is another film with uh, my current old-time crush, Myrna Loy. And this movie is called The Best Years of Our Lives. or seen this movie? I've heard of it. This film uh, won the Best Picture Oscar in 1946. 
Um, to give you an idea how good this movie is, it beat out It's a Wonderful Life for Best Picture. Um, was It's a Wonderful Life nominated for Best oh, Picture? Oh, yeah, it was up for a bunch of Oscars. Wow. I don't know if it won any of them, um, but it was it won for Best Picture, Best Director. I believe Frederick March uh, also won Best Actor. It might have won a couple other ones. Uh, what this movie is about, it's set... Uh, it's, it was du- released in 1946, and it's set in 1945-46, immediately after uh, World War II. In fact, the movie starts off and introduces us to our main three characters who we're going to follow in the film. Um, they're played by Frederick March, Dana Andrews, and Harold... Uh, oh, Harold. Me. His name is... <laughs> Harold, yes. <laughs> oh man. Well, that's why that's why I have a computer in front of me, so I can occasionally look up these sorts of things. Um, his name is Harold Russell, um, and basically these three guys kind of share the same bombardier plane that's taking them back from wherever they were in the war back home to small town America. There's a name of the town they're going to, but they're flying they, home. They're flying home, and they kind of bond a little bit on this flight back. Um, Frederick March is kind of like the older uh, veteran. He's the guy who has actually been married for 20 years, and he has kids back home, but he went and fought in the war. Um, He's only three days from retirement. (laughs) No, don't say that. And he he died before he went back. I have a theory about uh, the three days from retirement cliche. Okay, go ahead. Now, I feel like... In order to refute the cliche, you have somebody say, "I'm three days from retirement." And then you don't kill him off. That'd be interesting. But then, what if you double bluff the audience? What if you say, "I'm three days retirement," and the guy's, and then the guy says, "Don't ever say that." Have you have you never seen a cop movie? And then like, and then uh, you show no sign that he's going to get killed. And then the very last second, he gets killed. No, no, no. What you do is. You show the guy doesn't get killed, and then you, like, the end of the movie is just charting as he lives the rest of his life and dies as an old man. Eh, that's not bad. Because at the end of the day, you know... Well, that's, hear, that's a single bluff. Well, let hear from us, folks. You know, you're going to die eventually. Oh, hush now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Vicious I'm so, lies. I'm so hopeful, aren't I? Yeah. All right. But All right, anyway, best years of our lives. Back to this movie. So, Frederick March, he's the older veteran. Uh, Dana Andrews is kind of more the younger guy. He's the guy who's been who kind of got married right before he left to go to the war. Um, I didn't get killed in the war. Damn no, it! Well, obviously these characters didn't get killed in the war. Otherwise, we'd unless be they're ghosts. actually ghosts. There are ghosts in this movie. One of them is played by Bruce Willis. Oh boy! Um, and then you have the third one, uh, Harold Russell. Um, who plays uh, Homer Parrish. So the three characters... How does Myrna Loy figure into this? Okay, well, Myrna Loy is the wife of Frederick March. Um, what happens is, well, the three of them go home. Uh, Frederick, like, the thing is, this is a very detailed movie. It's three hours long, almost. And it's following... It's basically trying to just follow what happens to these guys when they come back from the war. And... You know, and this was at a time when Hollywood was churning out all these movies about, you know, let's fight the big battle. Let's send our soldiers out there and, you know, take over the bridge. Let's the Sands of Iwo Jima and all these kinds of things with John Wayne and, you know, very patriotic. I mean, obviously, as you've talked about in the past, there there were a lot of movies 
made by the government and by famous directors like Capra Un- and John under, Ford. Under government supervision. Yeah, under government supervision to rally the war effort. Uh, but people kind of took for granted, you know, even if you're in a war that is, you know, justifiable to fight, people are still going to come back and be kind of messed up, and they're going to have trouble adjusting. Well, yeah, we know that now. We know that now. But after about so, three different times. After about a lot of different times, a lot of different movies, and you know, obviously a recent one to consider is American Sniper. In fact, I had American Sniper in my mind when I was First watching Blood? this movie. Um, well, well, First Blood is the Sylvester Stallone sort of reaction. Well, yeah, but it's still about the same thing. John Rambo is a veteran who can't adjust to that's true to society. Yeah, I, it's, he's it's, basically an outsider. People think about ah Rambo. He's got mm-hmm. he got the machine gun, bare chest, but no, it's really yeah. about John Rambo failing to to live a normal life. That's true. I think a difference for me with what when watching a movie like Best Viewers of Our Lives versus Rambo. Ultimately, Rambo is still like an action movie. It is an action movie. Ultimately, it's still about Stallone blowing lots of shit up and, you know, being a badass. Even though by the end of the movie, you do get a really strong emotional catharsis. Yeah. Here in Best Years of Our Lives, it's much more nuanced. (laughs) Well, I I wasn't going to make a close comparison between the two. (laughs) You could. You could. Hey, I'd be open. Thematically, they deal with the same stuff. Thematically, they do, and actually, it's funny. It's funny you do bring that up because what happens is Dana Andrews, he's the guy that is still kind of like dealing with raw stuff in terms of, uh, you know, not fully being able to come back from what his experiences were. Like he had some very violent experiences in combat and. You see that he's sleeping and he's really struggling with stuff in his dreams and he talks in his sleep and is almost like reenacting some of his trauma that he went through. So he's the one that's been affected most, like in the brain. Uh, And he comes back and he's actually the character that, you know, can't really get uh, a good job. Uh, You know, he comes back home and he wants to maybe try to get a job at like this pharmacy and nobody can really uh, help him move on up because... What's on his resume? You know, I worked at a soda fountain. You know, they had those back in the day. Um, <laughs> he was a soda jerk. Then he went off to war and he basically... Also, dropped... I was a professional soldier. Yes. Well, I was a... Well, but the thing was, like... Not, he, well, they not have a, freelance. Well, they have a scene with Dana Andrews where he's at a job interview at the place he used to work at. And the guy asked him, okay, so you worked at a soda fountain before as a soda jerk. Um, what did you do in the war? Did you supervise anyone? Were you, like, in charge of any troops? No, I just drop bombs on people. Well, that's not that much experience for work here. I can drop put... pills on people. Don't you understand? <laughs> drop pills? Pharmacy. Well, it, uh, I'm just picturing him. I just picture a guy flying over the store and dropping pills in people's hands. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's a surreal image. See, you're a better pharmacy go. manager than that yeah. guy was. Okay, so you have that guy. You have Dana Andrews trying to adjust to that. Also, he has, his wife has kind of become estranged from him. And, you know, she's kind of doing more of like, I I can now raise money by myself and you can't raise money. You can't support me. And we're living like bums and blah, blah. So there's that, there's that plot line. Then you have Frederick March, who, again, he's the older guy. He had a life before he went to war. And he comes back and he's actually promoted at his bank. And he's sort of in charge of, uh, giving or denying loans to veterans. 
Uh, so that's an interesting kind of predicament he's in. He probably has it the best, though, out of all the soldiers. Even though, like, the first hour of the movie is basically him coming back home and he takes his family out and is like, let's go party. Let's go check out the town. And basically yeah. it's him taking his wife and kid, played by Myrna Loy and Teresa Wright, uh, and they go around to different clubs and bars and Frederick March just gets hammered uh, without any parlance. Then the third guy... Uh, a girl, Homer Parrish, he's the most outwardly affected, like, visibly, because he's lost his hands. He has hooks now. They took my hands! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, he's got his hands! <laughs> Are you referencing something? Moonstruck. You just oh, yeah! watched it two weeks ago. Jeez. Oh, Am uh, I supposed to put my heart heartache <laughs> away and forget about it? <laughs> but the problem is you don't sound like Nicolas Cage. Well, neither do you. I, I can sound like Nicolas Cage. Yeah, after a stroke. <laughs> Have you heard Nicolas Cage speak recently? That's how he talks now. Fair really? I, I haven't seen him lately, so uh, I'll, I'll you, give you that. I'll play you an interview that he did where he, uh, no joke, praises the acting of Hayden Christensen. Nah, that's okay. All right. But anyway, <laughs> so in Home, like Homer Paris especially, I mean, what can he do? I mean, he's been actually trained by the Navy or the army or whatever, to use his hooks. Like, he actually can do a lot of things. He can it. become a pirate. <laughs> He's got ship experience. Usually He's got the pirate, hooks. Though, usually a pirate has one hook, though. They usually have a hand to help them with other things. Well, I mean, he's overqualified. He's overqualified as a pirate. Um, and so what basically we get in this movie is following these three soldiers, trying to adjust back to life, and, you know, the relationships they go through... There are there is a story going on, but it's what I love about it is that they're just really compelling characters, and we're following how these characters are adjusting. They're trying to get back into their relationships, uh, or you know, especially with this guy Homer Parrish. You know, he has someone who wants to marry him, but his whole thing is well. How can you marry me? I don't have hands. What kind of husband am I going to be? I cannot embrace you. Yeah, and like, all, yeah, well, that, and, you know, kids mock me from the street, and, you know, I'm almost kind of like, there's one point where he's like, you know, he, all these kids are kind of making fun and, of him. And that outside. was back in the day when kids, like, chanted rhymes at you. Yeah, I mean. they basically chant rhymes at him, and then he, like, breaks <laughs> one of the windows with his hooks. He's like, you want to see this? You want to see this? And, you know, then they get all scared, because, like, oh, Oh, he actually reacted to us. Yeah. <laughs> but the acting is all tremendous. Um, just a lot of nuance is really conveyed well from uh, by William Wyler to his actors. Um, you know, everyone is, almost everyone is really top-notch. You know, Frederick March is really great. Uh, Dana Andrews, who was a little bit more like a matinee idol at the time, maybe sort of like that generation's Paul Walker or something, is really good. Uh, Teresa Wright, who was in a Hitchcock movie, I'm going to say Shadow of a Doubt. Uh, she's also really good. Myrna Loy's Myrna Loy, she's really great. Um, the one actor who I just didn't really buy completely, and now I'm going to preface this by saying I know why the director cast him, because, and it's I really do respect it, the actor who plays this guy Homer Parrish, Harold Russell, the guy with the hooks, the reason he was cast is because he actually had hooks for hands. He was not a professional actor. He was cast because he 
actually lost his hands in the war. And William Wilder wanted to show that as, you know, I'm not like an actor who's hidden my, you know, I have a fist and I have hooks. And that's commendable. But, you know, that part is fine. If I'm just on the outside and I hear that, I'm like, oh, that's really great that you're that charitable. But that the guy isn't that great of an actor. He's just, you know, he is what he is. He's actually fine in scenes where he kind of has more levity. Like he learns to, I'm not kidding. He learns to play chopsticks on the piano <laughs> with his hooks. Oh, it's that's a that's cool. a lovely little scene. Um, but when he has to convey more of like his sorrow and you know contemplation, like he looks at old pictures of himself as like a sports star from high school. Arm wrestling. Uh, no, well, <laughs> thumb wrestling. See that <laughs> shooting shadow puppets. Uh, You're cruel. This man fought for his country. Hey. I'm not some child chanting rhymes in the streets. No, you're just you're just thinking of finger what... painting. Uh Hey, now you can do hook painting. Okay, but ring the... model. Yeah. Point is this guy not the greatest actor. No, it's okay. I, but if he's, he's not a great he's... actor, he's not a great actor, but, no, but it's all... commendable to everybody. Oh, it's commendable. Know, but uh... all the, the interesting thing though, when I looked this up, he actually was awarded two Oscars. For his performance, though. Oh, cool. Like, one of them was for a supporting actor, and then they gave him another honorary Oscar for just, like, hey, you're, you know. See, that's what I've... The the Oscars should do that more. I'm not talking about Governor's Awards or any of that nonsense. They should give give a little extra recognition every once in a while. Yeah, but how often do you get, like, an actor like that? Well... Like, you usually get people who are just professional... Hollywood actors giving performances. You don't often get someone who's there, there are, a non-professional. That's a very rare. The case. movie making industry is big enough where no, you no, can no, highlight the that things that be, are fantastic that about it. That would be that would be a nice touch to definitely do that. I mean, the Governor's Awards. They don't even. I don't even know if they broadcast that. I they they had a little bit about it. Uh, they I had think... a t- they had like oh! a two minute clip show. Ha- Hayao Miyazaki got a governor's award. He did get a governor's award, and and well deserved at that. That's, well, I'm going to bring that up when we have our main discussion. Okay, I have a lot to say about that. All right, but, let's but uh, let's up, set though, this aside for but now. To wrap this up, though, Best Years of Our Lives is a is a really wonderful film. Uh, it's you know again, it's almost three hours, but you get so invested in it that time wise, you know, it just kind of flies by. Um, and, you know, especially if you're looking for a lot of s- subtlety and nuance, and especially looking for just really well-drawn characters who deal with a lot of conflicts, uh, not just with what you expect about, you know, the typical coming-home-from-war thing, but also more about the town itself and how just to adjust in society and people who, yes, I recognize that you're a soldier, but, uh, you know, some of us still are, you know... You know, we didn't really have, the, we didn't really get affected by it the way you did. So there are different reactions and just a really well drawn portrait. All right, good. Uh, I'll uh, an, t- an intimate epic, you could say. All right, that's a good way to do it. Sounds intriguing. Who cares what people think? It's what my patient feels. Jack, you can't kill someone on national television. Has he no regard for the sanctity of life? Thank you. Have you no God? There's only one side to the story. Ours. You go to prison for the rest of your life. 
is leading society into an age of enlightenment, you idiots. Let him prosecute. Convict me. Send me to jail. I'm thinking of the Supreme Court. I'm thinking of going all the way. It'll be your own field of specialty, Jack. You're going to need some business cards, you know? Uh, the first movie I watched after I left uh, the podcasting uh, space, space, after I left the loading dock. Podcasting uh, space, the final frontier. This was a movie I uh, that was on HBO, okay. I think. Uh, and it was You Don't Know Jack, which is about... Yes, the, you mentioned that you were hoping to maybe watch this uh, after the, on the last podcast. Yes, You Don't Know Jack, the, the, the life and deaths of Jack Kevorkian. Because okay. I was going to say, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Oh, either that, or I know you less than I thought. Yeah. Although that's Al actually, Pacino, that's and, also the name of a game too. Yes, but let's put that aside. Yes, uh, Al Pacino I've, I've seen as this movie too. So Al Pacino is Jack Kevorkian. Uh, one of the notes I remember writing down was I've forgotten that he's Al Pacino because he plays Jack Kevorkian as this. Not that he's just normal. He's but he's just. He's the kind of old man you and I would see on the streets or in a library. Like, he's kind of loud sometimes, and, you know, he says some awkward things, and you'd be like, oh, it's this guy again. Yeah. But otherwise, he's not unusual. No, uh, not not too unusual. Not he's all. He's common. Yes, common. That's a good way. But he's it. also, uh, but when we show insights into his life, he's also very cultured. He plays the flute. He loves Bach. He paints. Uh, rather... It's unsophisticated that, it's, but sophisticated it's at just the same that, time. But, but then he has this little thing where, uh, you know, he he does think that people who want to die should die. All right, and that brings up a that's a very valid point about this film. It's not just about Jack Kevorkian, and it's not a lurid exploitation of his work or uh, or of his infamy. It's about the issue of euthanasia. Yeah, it's also, it's uh, in part, I remember it was kind of a courtroom drama too. Parts of it, well, a lot of it took place in courtrooms because Jack Kevorkian spent a lot of time in courtrooms trying to justify himself. Yeah. And, uh, and that, I'm also, not going to give... There, there were some kind of debacles that happened there. Sometimes you know, brought upon by Jack Kevorkian himself. Because well, he... usually at the end, because Je uh, Jack Kevorkian, as far as the film portrays it, Jack Kevorkian is all is basically the architect of his own downfall. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not you agree with... Uh, whether or not you agree, not agree euthanasia. with euthanasia, or whether Jack Kevorkian was right, uh, he kind of screwed himself, uh, if you were to believe the film. What I remember uh, about the film let, let's be... is that it's it's very it's well rounded though it doesn't yeah. show it doesn't show him as a monster no but it's obviously not totally sympathetic to him either well I don't know if uh, it's a little more I sympathetic think... than you expect I'd say I'd say it's very sympathetic to him uh, I think your reaction to him is going to depend a lot about what you think about euthanasia if Perhaps, you want yeah. this is this is a challenging film uh, it's 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 not very clear cut. But it does. Uh, I do feel it is very sympathetic to uh, to his cause, more or less. I think that, well, to the extent that he, you know, the movies, you know, this movie shows that it puts a human face to what we would kind of immediately, usually discard as, oh no, you can't do that. You know, you can't kill someone even if they want to die or they're in really bad pain or often 
you know, and I forget if Jack Kevorkian dealt with people who were really ill or just people who were especially suicidal. No, I think the they, movie these made were that people who were right? especially. Yeah, he was. Now I'm go, I'm going to say according to the movie a lot because of course this is a dramatized account of Jack Kevorkian's life and all, accuracy is always an issue. So exactly. you can't take everything, uh, for, you can't take truthfulness for granted. And it's an HBO movie, too. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you were right about it putting a human face on things. Because I remember Jack Kevorkian from Headlines when I was a yeah. teenager. And <clears> I, <throat> I barely knew exactly what was going on, except that he was Dr. Death. Yeah, and, and the thing I think also you have to think about is that no one else was, or if anyone else was doing this, they didn't really get the publicity he did. No, no, he was, certainly he was nobody. A singular American figure. Yeah, <laughs> and in the end, he is an American figure. He's what he talks about is he talks about the right to die as sort of a in the in the same terms as you would use in, in civil rights. Yeah. He thinks he's the Martin Luther King of, of <laughs> euthanasia. But, uh, the Martin Luther King of death, which, but, uh, that doesn't sound at all like it's ironic. Right, but it's, and, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but in the context of the film, it makes perfect sense because he believe, uh, he believes that people have the right when they're terminally ill, when there is no cure for them and there's no... Uh, Why should they continue going on suffering? Well, yeah, they, he said he believes that people have a right to decide how to die with their dignity intact and with a with a lack of pain. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you agree with that or not is up to you. Uh, but he's portrayed in the film and played by Al Pacino as a man of of great compassion. This is one I, of those yeah. This is one of those Pacino performances where you know. No, he's not going like this. No, all he's the time. he is not no, Al Pacino. No, but this is not you know Al Pacino has different mo modes, and you know I really like the Pacino who's kind of more low key, who you know you can see him in scenes really listening to the other actor. I really he's yeah. one of those actors who's very generous when it comes to you know if they show him listening to someone off screen or listening to somebody or his brain kind of working. Um, you know, there's especially a moment I remember in one of the courtroom scenes where, like, Pacino had to play a very pivotal moment where Jack Kevorkian decides something he's going to do in his trial, and I just remember seeing that and thinking, wow, okay, I, I, I'm reminded why Pacino is revered as one of our best. He still know? got it. Yeah. And I, I think Barry Levinson directed that movie, I'm going to say. Uh, maybe you wrote it down. I can look it up. No, I forgot my notes. I I believe he did he you you I do know Jack, and I'm gonna look it up. Um, and uh, let me just see here. And yes, it was Barry Levinson. So okay. I just wanted to confirm that. And oh yeah, they're actually interesting. John John Goodman's in the movie. Yeah, he is. I almost forgot about that. But I mean, he he seems uh. He, he's a distinct character, but he doesn't really do much. He basically mm -hmm. plays uh, his Jack Kevorkian's connection for his uh, his drugs and his yes. and his poison gas. Yeah, which is interesting because then John Goodman would I don't, play a similar role. And I don't know if you have you seen the movie Flight. I've heard about that. Well, in the movie Flight, he's also um, he's kind of like Denzel Washington's connection in that film. Uh, <laughs> like he's a character who. Um, 
when Denzel Washington's character kind of needs some stuff, you know, some cigarettes and other stuff. Like he get he hooks not up. just cigarettes. No, not just cigarettes. Other Cronals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's I don't remember him being that over the top in You Don't Know Jack though. No, he's certainly low key. Yeah, it's a very low key movie that, but it again, I think it tries to open up the sort of consciousness about the subject more by just, if you just throw human beings on the screen, sometimes that works the best. Yeah. You know, and it worked in uh, Best Years of Our Lives, and it seemed to work here. Yeah. Send me to jail. Tell me when to flip the switch. Oh, my God, you're Dr. Death. This is not a trial, Your Honor. This Wait, what law have I broken? You understand what prison is? Did you see the Shawshank Redemption, sir? No. 